Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. This show is presented by ASICS, and what a weekend ASICS had down at the Olympic trials. Don't believe me? Let's look at the leaderboard. We have 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th on the women's side, all wearing ASICs, Sarah Hall, Carolyn Rotich, McKenna Myler, and Lindsay Flanagan. You say, hey, Matt, that's pretty good. You're absolutely right. Well, hold on. Let's look at the men's side as well, because not only were the women killing it, the men were as well. Elkanah Cabet came in fourth, and hold on, hold on. I had it right here, and then I lost it, of course. How could I forget? Clayton Young finished second. So an absolutely stellar weekend for the ASICs team. Go check out ASICs.com today to get your best stuff. I'm doing a long run right after I put out the episode here on Friday, February 9th. And I'm really excited. I'm going to wear the Super Blast or the Nova Blast 4. I'm not sure, but I know whichever one I choose, it's going to be a good choice because they're both absolutely fantastic shoes. Now, today's episode is with Nathan Martin. Nathan is someone who's been on the scene for a long time. He just ran his third Olympic marathon trials last weekend. Also, he's the fastest American-born black man in history. That's right. In history, he has the record. And not only that, he almost ran his PR at the Orlando trials. That's right. He ran 211 flat, finished seventh. He ran incredibly well. I couldn't wait to talk about his, we talk a little bit about his broader career. We didn't touch on a lot of that because that's been covered on other podcasts and they've done it really well. We really focused on the last four years and how the race went for him specifically. He is a really interesting and engaging guy, and I could not wait to get him on the show. So let's get into it with Nathan Martin. All right, Nathan Martin, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. It is an absolute pleasure, as I told you offline before we got going. This usually isn't the podcast to talk about professional running, but Tis the season. That is for sure. Forget about the Christmas season. It's marathon training. It's marathon racing season with the Olympic trials going on. So many amazing stories. And as someone who's been a big fan of yours for such a long time, it is absolutely an honor to get you on the show. I will say you have a fantastic backstory. And as much as I want to dive into it, we're probably going to stay more towards like the recent couple years in your training. You've had great podcasts with Tommy Runs on the Run, Eat, Sleep show. You had another really good podcast with Chris McClung and Kara Goucher on the Clean Sport podcast. Both of these came out around Christmas uh, 2021. I'm sorry, around New Year's like 2021. Um, So people want to go back and hear like the full like, wait. Nathan Martin ran the NAIA marathon championships and set the marathon record. Like that's crazy. They even run the marathon in college. Like those are really good podcasts to listen to. Um, that's for sure. So I just want to set that, set that, um, I guess put that down for everyone listening in terms of like, Hey, how can we hear more about Nathan's background? It's like, well, some really good people have already covered it. So we don't want to make you double dip too much. Okay. Hey, I'm, I'm for it. So ask away. Well, that's for sure. Well, Hey, Going so you've this is your third Olympic marathon trials that you've competed in. So you were in 2016, 2020, and 2024. So I want to kind of juxtapose some of your experiences and what you've learned from different things. Um, the, the previous, I guess, let's say the, the most recent one before this past weekend was was 2020. Uh, so mm-hmm. going into 2020, you had your best year racing ever in 2019. So you had ran incredibly well. Can you talk about? Just where you were mentally and physically heading into the winter of 2019 with your eyes gearing towards uh, Atlanta. Oh, 100%. Um, So around that time, um, I was actually coaching myself for a while, which uh, I don't recommend. I mean, some people can pull it off, but definitely not me. Um, funny enough though, I had a coach through 2017 for the marathon championships. Um, and then I coached myself for the next year and ran the exact same time at the exact same place. So I don't know if that says anything, but, um, just coming off of that, I, I didn't feel as fit. Um, I felt like my training wasn't at the quality it should be. Um, and it was just really hard just trying to make sure that I wasn't like, um, feeling like I wasn't doing enough and and feeling like I was getting in what I need. So I told myself, I'm like, I have to do something. I need a, need a coach again. I need to figure this out because I can't go into 2020, um, especially going into the trials feeling like, Oh, wow. I had way more. And I just didn't do what it took to, to kind of get there. 
Um, and so around that time, my college coach reconnected with me um, and we just kind of went back to the basics. And it was it was really bad. Like I thought I was in shape, but we did a workout and it was supposed to be like a little bit faster than like tempo LT effort. And I made it through like half the workout before I was on the ground, like ready to puke type thing. Um, and so like, we just worked on what we needed to work on and, um, you know, it was just insane. The changes I started feeling fitter, um, started running, running some fast times. Um, and this is kind of going through winter and all that kind of stuff. And so we got to the Krim festival of racing and we like, this is how, like how big of a shift it was. Um, we got into the race and we're telling like the race directors like, well, on a really good day, we might be able to break 48, but we're going for like 4830. Um, and I end up going like 4657 and it can it just shocked us um, on what was going on, what could happen for the trials, all that kind of stuff. And, um, kind of just rejuvenate it like, hey, we got a shot. We can do something. And that's a 10 mile race, correct? Yeah. 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 Um, I know for in the, in the racing scene, that's a, a very highly well-regarded race and one that you had done many times. So as someone who like has had experience in that race, I guess halfway through, were you aware? I, I'm assuming so. But were you consciously aware, aware of the pace that you were setting and how different it was than some of your uh, previous trips there? Oh, yeah, 100 percent. So like um, back when this is before Dathan retired, he um, he was running a race as well and he'd ran it a couple of times. And it was just a night and day difference between our fitness. Like one time I did I did beat him like a few years before um, the 2019 um, Krim. Uh, but he was just getting back into shape and stuff. And in the next couple years, he just crushed me. It was like not the same race. Um, and so like when I get into the race um, this time around um, and I'm keeping up with him and, and at that time, you know, Parker Stinson, um, I'm thinking, wow, I must be in good shape because I felt completely fine. And I'm just with these guys. And in fact, I like took off on them on that race. We hit the hill. Um, cause there's like a super steep hill, like right in the middle of it, um, hit it. And I took off, like I wasn't even trying before. Um, and then Dayton kind of comes back and, and it's just like this crazy thing in my head. Cause he's like, I'm hearing him huffing and puffing. I'm like, what the heck is going on? How am I running fast enough to make Dayton Ritzenheim huff and puff? Um, but it was at that point, I'm like, Hey, things are going really well. And then, yeah, I just finished hard closed with like a 423 mile or something like that um and yeah it yeah was a good day so yeah that's for sure and certainly in a gust group and speaks to the quality of that field and the field they're able to put together a lot so you're heading into the say after that race then you're heading into the winter and you're looking at the 2020 trials knowing that Atlanta again it's going to be a hilly race the weather it was kind of unpredictable but you're a Michigan guy so again you know, with Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Michigan, Michigan runners all seem to kind of really be at their best when seemingly the weather is at its worst. So I'm sure you weren't too intimidated by any of that. But just in terms of how you, in that era, how you saw yourself fitting into the professional field, can you describe to me whether it's like there's people in the, in the group that you thought of as peers or maybe you had like different tiers set up in your head? Or how did you view yourself in the construct of professional endurance running? Yeah, so um, at that time, um, me and my my previous coach, we were pretty closed off to the true elite world. Um, like we just didn't understand like a lot of different things, and not to say that, that was bad or good or anything like that. Um, but it's like when you're that closed off and you're doing really well, all you're thinking is like, hey, do I have a shot? Um, what does it take? Um, and so like during that winter time, that was the huge focus. Um, and I give a crazy amount of credit to to my um, previous coach, Dante Adelini, because um, he saw the potential and he's like, hey, we need to execute. We need to get things in. Um, so it was just like a huge grind in that like winter time. Um, and so like the kind of good and bad, I think we were pushing so hard for it um, that not only did it cause a few issues with my body leading up, but just like mentally and all that kind of stuff. Um, was kind of getting to me as well. And 
Um, I was crazy fit doing crazy good workouts, but it was like one of those like, oh, am I doing too much now? Am I still ready? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, and we should say not only did you run well at Crim, a month later, or you know, roughly a month later, you're also at the USA 20K Champs in New Haven, which a lot of people know that race as well. You also you finished second at that race. You had two big races, oh, 2019, fuck. finished second at both. One of them is a USATF um, championship event, and you've run many of those as well, uh, not just at the 20K distance. Um, heading into the trials that year, again, not that we're going to spend all this time talking about the 2019-2020 trials, but I do want to kind of set the stage for the success you've had this past weekend, which obviously was just incredible. Um, as you're getting ready for that event, as someone who's run a lot of marathons, shoot, you ran the marathon in college, right? Why did you end up not running a marathon in the fall heading into the 2020 trials? Um, at that point, um, the biggest thing we were trying to do was we were just trying to gain as much fitness as possible. Um, and so like, um, during that time too, again, we were pushing so hard that there would be, um, weeks where I would just kind of overdo it and it would take like a week or two just to get my body back to normal. Um, and this is all for like 80 miles a week and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, it was one of those things where we just didn't want to put too much on my body because we just didn't know how I was going to respond. Um, and again, it might have been one of those things where it could have been good to get in a marathon. But again, we were kind of a little bit more closed off. Um, and so we were focused on the training and how do we you know, push out one more level, all this kind of stuff. All right. So you head to, the, you head to Atlanta. What was the objective slash strategy going into race day? Um, so, you know, at that point, I just wanted to keep myself in contention, um, make sure I covered moves, um, make sure I handled what I needed to handle. Um, at that point I knew I wasn't the best hill runner and I don't know if I've gotten better per se. I've ran New York obviously and did well, but several times, um, several, not just once either. <laughs> um, but like at that point I knew hills were something I was going to struggle on. Um, so it was just figuring out the best way to tackle that. Um, and so were, were you kind of asking about the race in general or just the, the vibe of it? Or? I guess just more just expectation slash strategy, right? Going into it, maybe there are certain people you had in mind or a certain pace mm -hmm. that you had in mind. Or because it's a looped course, maybe you're like, all right, for a first loop, we're thinking this. Second loop, thinking yeah. that. I guess there's a lot of different ways to cut it. But just in terms of having a plan going into the race, what did mm -hmm. that look like? Yeah, so, um, and it's hard to kind of think back to that. Um, yeah like a lot of details. Um, but I knew we wanted to hold, um, around like that five flat ish pace and just be able to handle moves. So if, you know, there was a surge, be able to cover, um, like a four fifty or something like that. Now we didn't anticipate there were going to be multiple four fifties, like after the first mile, but, um, just being able to cover that, and, um, kind of have that ability. Cause we went down, two weeks before or something like that. And we attempted to run in the course, which in hindsight was not the uh, best idea because traffic was still going. Um, but we made it work and was able to figure out a few different things from that. And um, Yeah. I just wanted to incorporate everything. So. And I know you told the story on the podcast, the clean sport podcast with Kara and Chris, but I, could you mind just recounting what happened in the you know, the early miles in Atlanta? Because I think it also sets the stage in terms of how yeah. you approach race strategy at mm -hmm. some of your most successful races after this. So I really want to touch on what happened and how you reacted to it. Um, yeah, so the first mile we went out and I think it was like maybe like 505, something like that. And I'm thinking like, oh, wow, this is a great pace um, if we keep it around here. In those later stages, I'm without a doubt going to be able to handle um, some moves and all that kind of stuff. And out of nowhere, it was like, I don't I don't even know how to explain it. It was just this huge mob just starts taking off um, and we start dropping like 450s, 440s. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? Can we, I think we can put this on CJ. I think CJ was <laughs> the one that instigated all of this. <laughs> no, that sounds like him, so... So, um, all right. So, so you're in this huge mob of people, and all of a sudden they're running way faster than you want to run at that time. So, again, not 
not that you can sit there and kind of sketch out a pros and cons list of what to do now, like, but what was the in, like the internal struggle of what to do in that moment and the cost benefit analysis of that decision? Yeah, so it was hard because I was like, like there is no running smart, there is no game plan at this point. There's no way that I'm going to to run a smart race and beat out 45 people ahead of me if I don't go with them my shots gone type thing and like no matter how I thought about it that was just the end result because um just so many people went out at that that you'd imagine that a few people are going to be able to hold it to some level um and so yeah I just went with them and just kind of hoped for the best and you know obviously towards the middle stages I'm like ooh, probably not the best I didn't in fact, it kind of I was I was pretty mad because um, a huge mob again through like halfway, probably still 20, maybe even 30 people um, kind of on this like fast pace. Um, and then out of nowhere, people started like dropping out, like flat out, started walking, getting onto the sidewalk. And I'm just like, no, you're the reason this happened. You need to keep running type thing. But um <laughs> You know, it was whatever. Obviously, everybody's trying to fight and figure out stuff. But yeah, that's hysterical. Yeah, I can I can imagine the like. Wait, hold on, you can't do this to me and leave. Where are you guys going? Um, that I mean, and that's a brutal course to suffer on, right? I mean, like we you just ran Orlando. Orlando was was you know, brutal for people for a different reason, right? Most mostly because of the weather and just the sun exposure, right? If, if someone's not great in the sun. That was going to be a tough course for them. There's no question about that. But just the hills, and it was such a windy day too in Atlanta that it was. If you're not feeling it, good luck. Oh gosh, it was it was so insane, and it's one of those things where, um, you know, it just like when when you get onto courses like that in situations, especially for a marathon, um, just your natural innate ability to handle certain things becomes such a huge factor. Right. Um, you know, I'm convinced Well, not convinced, but I'm, I, I would imagine that things like, let's say we went back to Atlanta. There's a good chance things would have looked a lot different for who finished in the top 10 and what places and all that kind of stuff, just from just innate abilities that people have. So, yeah, exactly. And, and you suffered and you, you had been to a trials before that that had crazy conditions, you know, 2016. In LA was was also like it, the the stories that you and Kara swapped back and forth on the Clean Sport podcast was pretty funny uh, about your, both of your experiences there. Uh, just the heat. People want to go back and watch rewatch that race. Like, oh my god! That, I mean, that's that is a completely different experience. I know people were hoping that Orlando wouldn't turn into that, and well, luckily, I guess for a lot of people it didn't. For some people, maybe it did. All right. So coming out of the trials, this is where I really want to start kind of picking up kind of like the story for 2024. So you run 2021, 26 in Atlanta, finished 69th overall, but finished the race, right? You stuck in it, showed a lot of toughness, but at the same time, you you ran 2019 in college, right? So there was probably a lot of positives to take from Atlanta, but it probably, it also wasn't the race you wanted to run. It probably wasn't the, you know, the time that you wanted to run, certainly. So what did you take from that race, both positive and negative, and how did it how did it inform the decisions you made for the rest of 2020, which was ultimately a positive year for you looking back on it? Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing coming out of that is just, you have no idea what shape people are going to show up in and what moves you're going to need to cover. So the only thing you can do um, is kind of just focus on what's in your control and just be ready for the moment. Um, because again, we, you know, it's not to say that we, we never had a shot at 2020. Um, but just getting into that field and seeing everything that happened, it's like, wow, you can't just hope you have, hope you have a shot. You need to make sure that you're, you're understanding what it's going to take and being ready for that, like physically, um, type thing. So that was probably the biggest thing. Um, and then also just making sure that yeah, you don't invest too much into the race, like mentally, as far as like this has to happen, or we have to do these kinds of things. Um, just kind of trusting where the body's at and trusting it's going to get better without having to like, 
you know, keep up with people who are doing 120, 130 mile weeks or doing these certain workouts because everybody's doing um, doing them. So just kind of what your body needs type thing. Yeah. And I'd love to hear more about the mindset that comes after a race like that. Again, 2019 was such a positive year. Atlanta doesn't go the way you want it to go. And there's people who are right now kind of trying to reconcile with that exact same situation who didn't have the Orlando that they wanted to have, right? There's plenty mm-hmm. of really good runners who didn't run well down there compared to what they thought they would do, who are now, you know, all in their heads about what happened, what's going on, how do, you know, how do I move forward? Like, did you know that year? Again, the world shuts down six weeks later, right? So, yeah. like, so did you know back then, like, all right, I'm still, I'm going for 2024 nothing's changed my, like I, in terms of like your professional progression or like, how did you reconcile this in the face of not only the race, but the world shutting down and just your own goals in the sport? Yeah. So ultimately I try and take things um, one step at a time. Um, and not to say that you can't have like bigger pictures for stuff or it's, 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 it's not good to think about the future and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I just learned from for just for how I operate and what works best for me. It's, hey, push yourself in the moment, trust in people um, and then kind of the rest will follow um, type thing. Um, so just making sure I kept that mentality is what I kind of focused on, which kind of forgot your question. But no, I think you got it. You nailed it. Even, even if I'm by mistake, you got it. <laughs> sure. All right. So end of the year, we're going to fast forward a little bit here because end of the year, you end up running the marathon project. People may remember this. It was the, the thing down in Arizona where, you know, basically it was like one of the best like time trials. It was, I know it was a race, but it almost felt like a time trial and a race, you know, at the mm-hmm. same time because people went, go, went to go down there to run fast. And that's exactly yeah. what happened. Even with the August group that went down there, with the, you know, it was really the only race on the calendar. So you had a lot of a really good group of people. You go down there to 1105, you <laughs> absolutely smash it down there, which was you know a, a huge thing. And I think that's for a lot of people from a national perspective, even though you had run incredibly well in 2019, I think for a lot of people, because marathon success sometimes rings a little bit different than 10 mile success or 20 K success, you really be put on the radar for a lot of people. You set the record for the, the fastest marathon time by American born black man, um, which I know a lot of people were, uh, and rightfully so, putting a lot of attention on. So you you have that experience at the end of 2020. So it started off not the way you wanted to. It ends with this huge achievement before we start talking about leading into the trials. And even more than that, just really like your success that you've had at New York City. So I think that's, I want to get into like why New York City and what the allure was there because it's a race you've gone back to a couple of times now. This is something you've talked about in previous shows. We don't have to belabor the point there, but in the years since you set that record, What's the reaction been like, you know, say two or three years removed? Is it still something that um, you're able to talk to folks about um, your experiences and uh, maybe the potential impact that that record had either nationally or in your local community? Hey guys, our podcast is brought to you by V.O2, a coaching app based on the science of legendary coach Jack Daniels. Unlike most other running apps, VDOT is truly personalized. It's It understands the type of runner you are, what you're training for, and how to maximize your effort. It also gives you control over your training, leveraging your feedback with fine-tuned training, and it leads to continuous progression. Not only that, you get a really good picture on how your time in a certain event or certain workout can be extrapolated to other paces and other times, right? So if you're like, hey, I have a recent 5K result, what does that mean in terms of like my threshold pace or what I could run a half marathon in and things like that? It really does work well. And when you're trying to set your your paces as a runner, it can get a little tricky sometimes. So getting that pace range is really helpful. Again, not just a pace time, a pace range. And that is exactly what V.02 can provide you. Try out their fully automated V. Adaptive Trainer and start syncing your training paces to your Apple Watch, Coros, or Garmin. You can use code Rambling to save 20% off after your 14-day free trial. That's right, a free trial and then 20% off on V.02 today. Just visit v.02.com and you'll be all set. 
Yeah, yeah. So like that's one of the um, you know, the biggest things about my running in general. Um, obviously, you know, I wanna do things like make it to the Olympics. I wanna run fast races and push myself. But the biggest thing um, is just being able to reach out to people um, and be able to hopefully inspire them in some way. Um, So originally, like breaking the record, you know, I was just thinking, oh, you know, it's another thing I did and let's move on. But just kind of like the outreach and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, wow, I really need to think about what I can do with this record and and how I can use it to not only push me forward, but kind of push the things I'm already doing. Um, and so I've gotten like a lot of different people who will come up to me and recognize me as the fastest U.S. born black marathoner. And, um, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you know what, I am reaching out to people. People are looking at me to, hey, what is he accomplishing? Um, how How is he as a person? And not to say I try and change myself drastically or anything like that, but, you know, I just want to make sure with, um, you know, accomplishing something like that, that I show other people you can kind of do the same thing. And um, so, yeah, no, it that was an amazing experience and it's still kind of carrying on for sure. You know, I'm just as someone who has lived a life in sports, you know, and I, you know, I, I think now like my sports heroes growing up and, and that didn't even, that didn't end when I was, you know, a teenager, even in my twenties, right. There were still athletes that I still idolized, you know, for a variety of different reasons. And it can be such a powerful thing where there, when you think back to, you know, either as a youngster or, you know, as you were maturing in the sport where there are people that you looked at and it can really be for any reason that as as models for what you either wanted to accomplish or the way you want to compose yourself or anything like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't like a I'd say a big like, you know, one of those poster people or anything like that. Um, you know, I give a lot of, um, you know, praise to my high school coach um, just in how he approached things. Um, you know, he knew I was really fast, but it was way more about, um, you know, how do we use this to help out the team? Um, and ultimately, hey, if this can push you forward, let's do it. But let's make sure we're doing it in a way that you're enjoying yourself. And, um, you know, you're not thinking it's just, hey, this is what I did. And nobody else matters type thing. Um, and other people like, um, you know, Dathan Ritzenheim um, was somebody um, just because he came from Michigan and we'd hear his times all the time at the state meet, like 14, 10. We're like, they're stinking. How is that even possible from a high schooler? Um, and and just people like that. And so I wouldn't say there's a huge list. I If I thought about it, there's probably a, a big list, but it's not something I kind of actively think about. One of the things that's noticeable in the other interviews that you've done is someone that doesn't seem to get like too high with success. Right. And you've, you've, you've even illustrated in this show talking about like, all right, just, you just kind of keep it moving one step at a time and things like that. Are you able to approach the down steps or the downturns with the same sort of equanimity? Or do you find yourself having to pull yourself out of kind of negative thoughts when things aren't going quite right? Yeah, it just depends on like what the scenario is and what the situation is, right? Um, so like I I think the biggest thing I try and do um, is just make sure I gave what I had in a race because um, I know that's honestly the only thing I can control. Um, and as long as I do that, I could have a good race, bad race, and I can kind of get over it. Um, it's more the races, you know, I get to or like, oh, snap, you know what? Um, I could have put in 10 extra miles a week and been faster and then do bad. Or, um, you know, there's um, races where it's like, oh, snap, um, I'm not doing well. I'm not feeling great. So I'll, I'll just take it a little bit easier. And those do you are- have an example for that one? Because I think everyone, this is great because this is why I like doing the podcast, because this right there, what you described is it's not related to fitness at all. Right. Like mm-hmm. there is every person who's ever run in. You're a coach. Um, you know this as well no matter what someone's fitness level is, we've all have these experiences, this existential dilemma of like, do I keep pushing hard in this race, especially if like things aren't going the way mm-hmm. I want to. So do you have an example of a race that comes to mind as like, this is the one that like still eats at me that I'm still mad that I didn't keep pushing or how I reacted um, in the moment. So the only one that kind of repeats in my head and it's from high school, um, was this, um, 800 meter race I was doing 
Um, and there was a really fast guy. And in fact, I'll give him a shout out, Tommy Bren. Um, I don't think he's still running or anything like that, but crazy fast guy. I think he went 149 in high school. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. It, he was intimidating. Oh my goodness. But uh, my coach is like, Hey, you know what? You can, you can beat this guy. Don't, don't care what he ran, all this kind of stuff. And this was before he was quite that fast. I think he was a sophomore at the time, and I was a junior or something. And it was at regionals. Um, my coach said, hey, here's the plan. We are going to go out easy, um, 60 seconds, and then we're just going to crank down, and we're going to pass everybody, and you're going to finish. Um, and so I said, okay, that's the plan. And um, we get to the first lap. It was like 60 point or something like that. I'm in third. And, and he's I like just 100 couldn't... meters ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, he actually he was he was holding back. So, oh, okay. Um, yeah, holding back, and so um, he was in second at the point, and somebody else was kind of leading it. Um, and my coach out of nowhere is just like, "Now, Nate, go!" And I'm like, "Okay, it's time to go." And I start taking off, and I'm flying like fly past Tommy, fly past the first place guy, and I am moving to finish because I'm like, if I give anything less than a hundred percent, this guy is gonna catch me. And like I get to like two twenty or something like that, and I'm like, I think I'm gonna get him. I think I'm gonna get him. And right around two hundred, he comes by like basically galloping because he's like six three or something like that. Um, and as soon as he does that, I just kind of shut down. And I'm like, oh well, I guess I can't beat him. And um, like for like twenty thirty meters, I was just like, oh, oh well. And I'm like, what the heck am I doing? And you know, by that point, it's kind of too late. And it's like one of those visible things that I'm sure everybody saw um, that it was just kind of a break and I just stopped trying type thing. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of a race that plays in my head that's, a lot. That, that's like that dead zone right before the final turn of an 800. It's like, oh, my God. I saw it now, And now I have to kick? <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> oh, man, that, that, that's, a, that's a good story. Thank you for sharing that. I wonder if you end up hearing this. That would be funny. Um, all right. So heading into 2021, again, we're not going to do like a full, like, this is your life type experience here, but all right. So a couple of years ago, you made a conscious decision to, to start really, you know, going after the New York city marathon. You've, you've run it a couple of times prior to that. You focused a little bit more low key. You ran CIM a couple of years in a row, which again was the U S champs, but still is from an elite pro perspective. That's usually not the top of people's list. Usually it's kind yeah. of like, not like, it's almost like the, and this is not going to be a derogatory term, like the second tier pro usually yeah. goes to CIM or a top tier pro who's like trying the, the marathon for the first time is often who you see at CIM in this race. I love, but it's, you know, not really for the top of the field, right? For you mm -hmm. see a lot of people doing now with that being said, you also start investing a lot of time going to New York, which I thought was an interesting choice considering that you mentioned like, Hills aren't exactly your strong suit. So, so walk me through over a couple of years, not only choosing to go to New York, but what you did to put yourself in a position to run incredibly well there, to be top 10 in New York, not top 10 American, just top 10 overall. So yeah. not only were you running a harder course, but you were also getting better results, which is an incredibly hard thing to do. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah, just going back to it around that time um, when I ran the marathon project and broke the record and ran really fast, we started getting a lot of attention. Um, and like going to back to the marathon project, honestly, we were going into it because we we're like, hey, we are struggling to get into races. Like it, it felt like all the stuff I did in 2019 wasn't good enough, um, even though it was crazy fast. Um, to kind of get into things. So we went into Marathon Project just hoping to open up opportunities and 100% it did that. And so that's when um, Howie kind of came on board and became my agent. And... All right, I just want to jump in. That's Howie Kaflowski, right? Uh, it is, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, can I give some credit to, to Sam as well, who's the race director for New York? He kind of reached out and said, hey, I'd really like you at my race. And um, so between those two connecting and, and figuring out, hey, what's the best opportunity for him and all that kind of stuff, I said, hey, you know what? I'll go to New York, see what happens. And um, yeah, I mean, fortunately enough, it, it was a good decision because first time around I did extremely well. 
Um, and like, I think the biggest thing I did just kind of hope it, which it did work, but we have this loop called the tempo loop, um, out here where I stay. And it basically is nothing but hills. Like I think if you were to do a marathon on it, it would be, it'd be, it wouldn't be twice as much as New York, but it'd probably be like times and a half as much as New York's gain and elevation and all that kind of stuff. And I was on that, like, oh gosh, at least once a week, um, type thing. And, um, so yeah, getting into New York, like the Hills definitely were challenging. Um, uh, but I was able to kind of tackle them and kind of push through and all that kind of stuff, even though like towards the end I was cramping bad. And, and unfortunately I think that cost me, um, you know, as high as sixth, but, um, overall, still, still a great race. So, and you end up going back there three times, including this past fall. So, let's talk about the year leading into the trials. All right. So, in 2023, much like in 2019, you have an incredible year. I'm mean, just looking through like the race results for now. It's like it's absolutely fantastic, right? You go to the Gate River Run in Jacksonville, 15K US USATF Championship, which is always a stacked field. Like it's exactly how you uh, talked about Crim before. It's always a great field. You finish eighth there, right? Mm-hmm. Three weeks later, you know you're doing the Trials of Miles Half Marathon in Rockland State Park. You run 102.43, win that race, right? A couple months later, you go and run Grandma's for the first first time. Finish fourth. 21045. Talk to me about what that was like this spring to get just go on that heater. Three in a row of just boom, boom, boom. Three really fantastic races in a row. Whether mm-hmm. there was a change in training or if it's just how things kind of came together, mindset shifts. When you look back at that that spring, early summer, what are gonna be your biggest takeaways for what that was all about and what allowed you to reach at that point the highest level of success in your career? Yeah. Um, so even talking on that, um, you know, I think with some of those races, I even had a little bit more potential um, to do better in them. Um, around that time, there was like a lot of kind of ups and downs, um, which kind of caused a little bit of friction with my previous coach. Um, you know, I was trying to stay a little bit more in the moment and he was a little bit more like, hey, we're not at where we need to be. Um, type thing. And so like definitely um, in some of those cases, I am like, you're right. And then poof, popped off a good race. In other cases, you know, I kind of survived in it and it kind of looked good, but it was like um, definitely a challenging point kind of getting to um, the trials of miles, like half marathon. Um, um, But yeah, I just decided that, hey, you know what? Um, Maybe I need like just a different change and all that kind of stuff. And that's kind of when I hopped on board towards the end, close to the uh, trials of miles um, with, with James McCurdy um, and just kind of switch things around just a little bit. Um, you know, I still give a whole bunch of credit to my coach, uh, my old coach, Dante Adelini, because he mainly got me through trials of miles and all those other races, um, but just kind of switched uh, focus and changed up a few things and definitely showed up a hundred percent at the grandma's marathon. Um yeah, just cause like I I went into it knowing I was I was in good shape, but um it was one of those things like hey can I pull off a good marathon? My last couple haven't been amazing, not bad, but not amazing. Um, and yeah, I just was able to kind of execute that race, and I'm like oh wow yeah we definitely are back in it, and we need to kind of figure out a path to the trials and do the best we can type thing. Yeah, two ten forty five which was obviously a phenomenal race for you. Now, back in 2019, no marathons in the in the fall heading into the trials, right? You ran the 15K champs in the 20K champs. I'm sorry, you ran, you ran the Crim 10 miler and the 20K champs, all right? So you are you have a new coach, James McCurdy, who people listen to this podcast a lot knows is a friend of mine. And I actually, you know, I'm one of the coaches for his coaching service. That's that's a, a, huge, a huge deal for him. With that said, as you're getting ready for the trials, what was the thought process about which races you wanted to do in the fall to get ready? Also knowing that the trials this year was going to be about a month earlier than it was in the, the, the Atlanta iteration. Yeah. So, um, the, so originally in the summertime, um, we early summer, we were after coming off of grandma's, we're like, Hey, you know what, if we target a half marathon, 
um, you know what, that might be really good to get the speed and intensity you need and then kind of train through in a normal marathon build um, kind of leading up to the trials. Um, and so that's kind of like what we were thinking through the first like four weeks, five weeks of the summer. Um, and then um, Sam kind of reached out again and said, hey, I want you to run New York. Um, you know, here's potentially what you, you could make if you do really well. And um, so it was like one of those really tough things because, you know, at that point you're um, balancing, you know, what's financially best for you and what's actually best for the trials. Um, so it definitely was a struggle trying to figure that out. And, oh, my goodness, there's an exhausting amount of questions I was asking my agent, exhausting amount of questions I was asking James um, just because I didn't want to kind of lose my shot and all this kind of stuff. But um, ultimately decided on New York. Um, you know, I trusted James Lott. He said, hey, this isn't going to affect things. You're still going to have a really good chance to to pull off a really good race. And in fact, I think it'd be good if you came to Flagstaff for a couple months um, just to make sure we're good to go. And again, I had a lot of trust and faith in him. And um, so that's what got me to go and run New York and then um, go kind of train in Flagstaff leading up to the to the trials. This is a really interesting question because it's something that doesn't get talked a lot about with the utmost candor. And part of that is because people have agreements in which they're not allowed to speak openly about some of this stuff. Um, but just the, the process by which people like yourself make racing decisions. And I think this is a classic example of this exact dichotomy of like, like you, as you put it, what is best for me from physically slash what is best for me financially isn't always going to be the same thing. And when that push and pull happens, you mentioned you were asking you know, people that you trust and people in your corner, all these questions, did people even have answers? Cause so much of it is kind of like, it depends. Yeah. So like nobody wanted to like give me an absolute answer. <laughs> um, they, you know, I don't think anybody wanted to take the blame if anything went wrong, but um, you know, I, again, I put a lot of trust in people. Um, you know, I, I'm smart enough to know that I know very little. Um, and so like, there are people who, who understand things, um, you know, to the point where I'm like, hey, you know what, if you're saying this, let's go with it and let's just kind of hope for the best um, type thing. So I'll just you're one of the most experienced guys in the field. So I'm, I think uh, I think you're being a little <laughs> little extra humble there, a little, little, little humble sauce on top of that that sentence right there. But, um, you know, and I guess I say part of it, I guess, just like, like a lot of high level coaches, James has coached runners who have done well in new york you mentioned before i think it was on uh, the clean sport podcast running with jane running with i'm uh, sorry james athlete uh john ranieri mm-hmm. who you know who you know at new york i think it was you him and jared ward i think ran together um so maybe they, they also had that kind of background of like knowing what the turnaround could be like as well so new york you you had a great new york experience the first time the second time didn't go as well as you'd hoped and running 225 so the third time you run 216 this past fall. What did you take out of that race and did it impact your training moving forward towards Orlando? Oh, yeah, I took so much from that race. Um, you know, at that time, I'm like, I know I can be top American. Um, it was kind of in my head. I was a little bit more stressed out um, about New York than I wanted to be that year. Um, just because like training was going was going solid. Um, but there are a lot of things like with my personal high school coaching that I was giving a lot of attention to and it was kind of affecting running. And so it had me stressed out like, oh, man, did I get in what I needed to all this kind of stuff? So the week leading up to it was was way more stressed than I normally have for a race. So like the two or, or one of the biggest things um, that, that came out of that is one, just how fearless people were in that race. Like so many, um, top U S guys, obviously, you know, just, um, people in general just took off. Um, and the day it wasn't hot or crazy hot or anything like that, but to see people going like low one Oh fours or even faster, um, through half on a course as hilly um, and tough as New York is like, man, these guys, that's not going to change going into the trials type thing. Um, so I have to be ready for that. Um, and then just on top of that, 
um, besides being ready for it, um, just making sure I don't get to the trials feeling like there was something else I could have done. Like I could have done this, or if I had switched things around, I wanted to make sure that I got to the trials. Like, yeah, regardless to what happens, there was no more I could have done. Um, and so, yeah, those are kind of the takeaways, you know, coming out of New York. All right. So you really want to embrace giving all you can in, in training to get you ready for Orlando. I talked to James. He made it clear before. Again, James loves his athletes. He's always going to like, not, not, not on Twitter, but like amongst his friends, he likes to be very optimistic about what he thinks the chances are for somebody. And, and that's, I think, a great quality for coaches to have and the optimistic nature. And I know he's not the only one. I talked to a lot of coaches and they're all very similar in that regard. But he was telling me flat out, like Nathan's going top 10 and I think he's, I think he can go top five as well. Like he was saying that without any prompting and you know, James, he likes to talk. This is called the Rambling Runner podcast. No one rambles about running as much as James McCurdy, maybe Jeff Cunningham, but the two of them, that's for sure. So did you, first of all, I guess, did you feel the same way? And what about your training do you think led people to have that level of confidence beyond just like, again, you have, a, you've, at this point, a lifetime of experience. So you have the pedigree. But what about the training do you think led you and other people to have the level of confidence um, heading into um, Orlando that you needed? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to say because, um, you know, I like obviously, you know, maybe paces and stuff like that that I was running um, in Flagstaff, but I got there. And the only thing I told myself is like, you need to push yourself. It doesn't matter how much it sucks or what people are saying. Hey, let, like we would go to the sauna like three times a week and, you know, 200 degree sauna is miserable. Um, but it was like, hey, that's what we might need to do to acclimate to the heat. Um, so I was leaving like no stone unturned. Like there was never a moment where I said, no, I'm not going to do something unless it was like, hey, I don't think that's good for training type thing. Um, and so like, um, you know, in that process, like the first two weeks in Flagstaff, oh my goodness, like I was getting dropped. And when I say dropped, I mean, like I was going on like eight minute, like trots, like struggling to get up some of the hills. Cause one, another thing that people may not realize is, you know, Flagstaff obviously has like the altitude, but it is just like hardly ever flat anywhere usually going up or down um and it's pretty insane that way but then after after those two weeks of struggling you know i started gaining enough fitness and acclimation um but i was able to push hard on workouts and um started um and we have like a group of eritreans who are like crazy fast like you know 209 guys 208 guys um and i was able to start keeping up with them in different workouts and different things like that um and just because of the the nature of hey if i have an opportunity to push myself I, i'll do it um i think you know james started saying like oh wow he's fit and um, other people who are coaching me, uh, Matt McClintock, he's a, he's a coach now. Um, and so they were just like, I, I suppose shocked or something like that. Um, even with a couple of my marathon workouts, um, going into them, um, I did like a, like a work, it was like 15 miles total. Um, I forgot what I officially averaged. Um, but yeah, Matt came out of it and he was like, dear stinking goodness, that was ridiculous. Um, and so, you know, obviously, you know, that gives you confidence, like I'm doing stuff. And so like, even before that point, um, cause you'll hear people talk, um, you know, just in, especially being in a place like that, like where you have just so many elite guys, they'll start speculating and talking about this and that. And it was like getting me like slightly frustrated because sometimes I like wouldn't hear my name, not to say I, I have to be in the conversation, but I'm like, OK, fine. Well, if you don't want to if you don't want to say my name, then I'll, I guess I'll show you what kind of fitness I'm in. Um, and so like. Um, you know, I had a lot of confidence going into it. Um, we did end up getting sick, like the whole house I stayed at, like um, three weeks um, before we just came down with this super hard cold. And that is not the time you want to get sick, not to say that it wasn't enough time to recover, obviously. Um, but then things just start shifting, like how you're thinking, how you're feeling like, oh, man, is my shotgun? Can I even do anything? Then you're like, 
overanalyzing your workouts. Like, was that even a good workout? Like, if I didn't get sick, I probably could have gone faster. And um, so definitely, though, that week and a half was kind of stressful and had me super stressed about stuff. But um, just kind of getting to the race and everything, I, I started getting my confidence back and started thinking, hey, you know what? Um, you know, regardless to sickness, you're in great shape. And James kept re- reaffirming that and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I went into it saying, hey, I'm ready to fight. Kind of let's see what happens. For sure. You know, was this the first time that you had done marathon training with a group of people that were faster than you? You mentioned the Eritreans that, that worked with James and, and we're, we're going to do a podcast with him before Boston talking about, you know, their their stories. Like it's a wild thing and I can't wait oh, to, yeah. to dive into it. But just I, these are incredible athletes that are working in the same group as you. Was that the first time that you had done group training where you weren't the first fastest person there? Um. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100 percent. Like I I man. Gosh, it was the first time I got around people um, who were either at my caliber talent or above it. And it's just a completely different experience Um, because back here in Michigan, the only thing I have to go on is do I feel like I personally pushed hard? Right. And there's nothing wrong with that because that can get you crazy far. Um, But there's so many other factors to think about when you have a group of guys um, who are that fast. Hey, am I am I actually pushing too hard? Um, You know, should I be sticking to this pace? Um, Now I have people who can bear the workload, like all these different things that just help you become a better athlete and a better runner. Um, Yeah. Yeah. No question about it. And especially in that group setting, right, because sometimes. No one ever feels good on the same day and no one ever feels not not everyone feels bad on the same day. Right. So especially if you have one of those days where you're like not quite in it, but there's nothing physically wrong. Like you can get dragged in. Right. You can feel like, all right, now I got to keep up with this person or that person. Right. It's kind of the beauty of these these teams. Right. And again, going back to your college, it's not like you weren't, you know, used to teamwork. That's for sure. Especially someone who grew up with six sisters, like you're you're used to being part of a group. But, you know, it's different when you have to train alone. Right. Unless you're just doing full apples to apples comparisons like, all right, I ran this loop third time in two months what was my time but again it's different right it's just that social aspect can be so can be so beneficial yeah i know a thousand percent and i i thank james i think um all the guys who let me kind of stay in their house like all my teammates and stuff um yeah i'll just give a couple shout outs so kevin koski um john ranieri matt mcclintock sammy mcclintock and then um cory cory reen yeah he he was uh he was kind of in a similar boat. We were kind of there, um, getting some extra training. But those guys are awesome. Um, definitely super focused, dedicated to running, and um, definitely rubbed off for sure. All right, so you're going into your third trials. You're feeling good, coming off some fantastic training, and a marathon PR in the previous year. Your coach is telling you, I think you can be top five. So talk to me about the strategy going into race day. And not only what, what he was talking to you about, but just like, again, this point, you're a veteran. This is your third trials. You've been doing this a long time. So your gut also matters, right? Like what, what you think you're capable of and what you want to do. So what ultimately, when you stepped to the starting line, you know, last Saturday, like what were you thinking? Yeah, so like we we definitely had a game plan going into it. And James is like one of those people where like he just says things in such a way that sometimes you're like, I want to believe you, but something seems off here. And so like, you know, even going early on to training, I was getting dead exhausted um, those first few weeks. And I'm trying to tell James, I am tired. And he's just like, just sleep more. I'm like, what do you mean just sleep more? Um, and then he'll like, well, you might need more sodium in your diet too. So just check on that. And I'm like, this guy is being ridiculous. But sure enough, a day or two later, I'm like feeling great again. And I'm like, Okay, never mind, never mind. I'll trust <laughs> what you're saying because even though it sounds ridiculous half the time, it, it most of the time it, it's pretty accurate. Um, and so I um, had a lot of faith in him, and he said, "Hey, um, looking the conditions are looking like it's going to to be a little bit cooler, um, still warm, so it's probably going to go out fast. So you have to expect to come through that." half at, at 120 or faster and so again a lot of trust in him so i'm like well if that's what's going to happen then then i'm going to be ready for it type thing and 
And it's crazy because you hear a lot of people kind of talking um, about their strategies and different things like that. You're like, huh, well, that's not matching up. And, um, you know, and you're like, it, it makes you question a little bit. But ultimately, you know, you, you keep the game plan with your coach and all that kind of stuff. And I knew I was in good fitness. So it wasn't like I was scared or going to back down from from kind of what he said anyways. Um, it's kind of funny, though. Like, And, and I think this guy meant to say a different number but it was like yeah yeah i heard people were gonna go out at 29 10 through the 10k and i'm like what no they're not whoa <laughs> but like he might have said the wrong number but like it's all that kind of stuff you're hearing while you're running that's shaping like what you're thinking but you know as long as you're confident um you got the work in and you trust um kind of trust your coaches and the people in your corner um kind of all that stuff is just kind of noise but yeah so did you have a relationship with Zach Panning before this race as a fellow Michigander? Um, we had connected a few different times. Um, nothing major or anything like that. Just like more cordial. Hey, how you doing? Um, we're both marathoners type thing. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, nah, I, I didn't really get any kind of chance to just kind of really hang out with them or anything like that. But um, obviously an awesome guy and, and hopefully um, we get a couple more training or some training sessions together. Um, we're like a couple hours away from each other, but, you know, obviously, you know, being two Michigan uh, top 10 guys, it's kind of silly that we haven't worked together at all. So were you surprised when he went to the lead and I was clearly going for, you know, two Oh eight ten. Like, again, I haven't, I haven't heard the, I haven't heard him say that specifically. I'm sure there's probably mm-hmm. going to be some interviews coming out in the next day or two. Maybe they're, maybe they're already even out now. Um, but he clearly was shooting for the 208.10 mark and was going for it at the front. Um, were you, for, I guess, first of all, were you aware of that surge when it happened? Like, were you close enough yeah. to it? And what was your reaction? Oh, yeah. No, I knew the pace it picked up. Um, it was one of, I didn't realize how fast we picked it up. I was thinking, oh, now we're on like, cause the first five miles were like 502 pace. I'm like, this is kind of slow, but I don't care. I'm just going to just gives me a better chance to, to respond later in the race to things. Um, and so we, we picked it up and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to miss this. I'm feeling good. And so those first couple miles, like I must've felt too good. Cause yeah, I didn't even realize we were dropping like four forties and four fifties and all that kind of stuff. I just assumed that we were at the pace we needed to be. It wasn't until like halfway where I was like attempting to do quick math at the, um, um, half marathon mark. And it was like one Oh four Oh eight. And I'm just trying to think in my head, I'm like, well, we were at five Oh two through like five miles. So what in the world were our last like seven or eight? I will tell you what they were. <laughs> I know you know this now, but I'll just read them to you. Starting at mile six, it's four fifty one, And the mile five was five Oh six. Then it goes down to four fifty one, four forty nine, four forty seven. 4.46, right? So just this little progression in there, right? And then mile 10, 4.51, 4.49. Four, and it just, it's hovering at the four, 4.48 to 4.50 mark for like essentially the next hour and 20 minutes <laughs> or so. Yeah. Uh, you guys were just absolutely hammering. Talk to me about the group, right? So you have the BYU guys are up there. Zach's pushing the pace. The BYU boys are like basically flanking him behind. Talk mm-hmm. to me about the group it's evolution in terms of the people who were in it and any communication or just the feelings you had amongst the members of that group that turned to be, it turned out to be like basically the, the lead pack the rest of the way. Yeah. So like looking around, like you, like all you see is just top notch guys. And so um, at that moment I was feeling really good. So in my head, the only thing I was thinking, like, just, just get to 16, 17 and be able to race. Just get to 16, 17 and be able to race. And since I wasn't feeling bad towards that like 10-ish mile mark, I'm like, I, I think I'm going to be able to do it. Like I, I feel within myself, all this kind of stuff. Um, and then like around 11, I did start getting a little bit tired. So that kind of like freaked me out a bit because I'm like, man, I thought I was feeling good, but you know, maybe not, maybe the heat's getting to me, but obviously it was, you know, dropping four forties or whatever. But, um, 
And so like that kind of was my mindset. And so like looking around, I knew there are a lot of guys who were experienced. Um, like there are a couple different times where, you know, I try and like do the, you know, point the finger, say, hey, I'm coming in here. And then like the guy would just like close the gap and be like, nope, no, it's not happening that <laughs> way. Um, and so just, um, just knowing I was going to have to, you know, figure out how to maneuver against like a lot of really um, talented guys. Um, but again, I wasn't nervous, freaking out about it. Um, in fact, it wasn't until about 15, 16 where I'm like, Ooh, okay, well this is, this is definitely getting tired. How do I handle it? So that's coming back on South street, coming back towards Orlando, that really exposed area coming West. Mm, Well, yeah, uh, sure. If you say so. All right. So let's talk about the last lap. Okay. So. Yeah, these it's it's after the first two point two mile segment, there's three eight mile laps, right? So you get mm-hmm. to mile eighteen, roughly. You come back up towards the finish line area, take that left, and that's also like if people saw the broadcast, they saw it. this is where like Clayton and Connor they have this little like, hand, like kind of like awkward handshake thing, like all right, it's go time, right? Obviously, mm-hmm. everyone's thinking that, right? Last lap, here we go. I guess, what, what was the mindset for you? What were you thinking at that point? And how much of it was like you being more an internal person thinking like, all right, what am I doing versus like external, like trying to kind of like read the room, so to speak, and get a handle on what other people were up to? Yeah. So like at that point, you know, it's like, snap, I, I think my chance is gone here. Um, I have to keep fighting, but um, like, well, what's the goal type thing? And it wasn't like I was thinking at, at any kind of high level at all. It was just like, quick things kind of going into your head. Um, But at that point, I still wanted to fight and make sure I was racing and give myself whatever chance because, you know, at that point, I'm like, people could come back. I I don't know. Um, And so I get to, yeah, I probably get to 19, um, yeah, mile 19 and just was in a crazy amount of pain, like, um, my, my whole thought process is like, this race needs to be done. How in the world do I finish another seven? Cause I am like, I don't even want to finish another two type thing. Um, but yeah, right, just at that kept... point, there's like the people who went with Zach, right. The people yeah. like yourself who like said, all right, here, there goes the race and I'm going with it. Right. And then there's the people like Josh Zuski who finishes right behind you, who kind of mm-hmm. took more of like, no, that's, I, I'm not doing that. I'm going to lay back. And I'm going to see if I can come up later, right? And do mm-hmm. a little bit more of a surge later on in the race. So what was those last, that, that final 10K where you all of a sudden, it's not about like, hey, here's the time we're going for it. It's much more like people are racing. You have the group that are kind of starting to fade, right? You were kind of in that group like that started hitting the 515s, 520s, and the group that's starting to run the 505s and starting to catch people along mm-hmm. along the route. What was that like seeing these uh, you know, the people kind of in two camps? Um, yeah, so like the only person I ended up seeing um, was CJ, and obviously CJ is a beast for sure. Um, and he kind of comes passing me, and there's probably like maybe four to go or something like that. And I'm like, okay, this is the only person I have to even latch on to. I'm going to attempt it. Um, but he was on like Madman Sauce, and somehow like we dropped him, <laughs> and he came back from the dead with like a vengeance and like dropping 455s. Um, and so I was like, I'm going to try. And that probably helped me, you know, get, well, I don't know. Cause he did pass me. And if I had went a little bit slow anyways, um, it did like wake me up a little bit towards that last, um, stretch. Um, but yeah, the only, only thing I was focused on, like that last four is like, I have to find a way to finish. Um, I'm still in the top 10, so, um, it's still a solid day. Um, so I just have to to get to that finish line um, type thing. And so like some things like um, Josh was like after the fact, um, like, oh, wow, it's like that's insane, like way to run it and still get eighth type thing. Um, but, you know, obviously, like if you didn't go with the pack, you, you lost your shot type thing because, yeah, the highest somebody finished who didn't go with the pack was, yeah, eighth. But. Um, yeah, right. go, like, yeah, I was just basically going, finishing, um, get, and it was like, even the last mile, 
like there was just nothing it was like man i like right now i could finish there's no like oh i'm almost done anything like people were like trying to give me high fives and give me flags and i'm like i'm having none of it no extra <laughs> energy at all get to the finish line and oh, that's we should of- say even even in those moments you're still like on pr track like you again your, your pr was like you know 210 45 or whatever at grandma's like you ended up finishing 211 flat so even when that that str- that struggle bus was you know kind of hitting you and running you over like you were still running really well and i have to ask from a crowd perspective you know you're someone again you run the merit they run the trials this is your third time you run new york three different times so you've been in situations where the crowd was you know a major part of the race and it continues to be, how would you describe the Orlando scene, especially kind of coming down uh, the finish line that last mile or so? Oh gosh. Like all the, the sounds were like deafening. Like it was just absolutely, it, it was awesome. Um, because like when a crowd gets that much energy, it kind of like pumps you up and it gets you out of your head, especially those things that are making you tired. Like, Oh gosh, everything hurts. And, and all this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, no, it, it was amazing how everything was set up. Um, and yeah, definitely appreciate it, especially my friends and family who came down. They were cheering for me. I heard Nathan a couple different times. I just had no idea who was saying it. I was screaming it at mile 19 and a half. I would say this. I was, and people are going to hear me say this on a couple of my post-trials podcasts. I was where, like, so you went, after you came through downtown, at like kind of like the beginning of the loops, you'd you'd kind of go south and you do the U-turn, and then you come back up, and then you go under the overpass and then take a right onto Anderson. Underneath that overpass, we had a really good cheering crowd. We were like going absolutely ballistic. I was like trying to say people's names, but I lost my voice. So I was trying to scream over the I was trying to scream over the cowbells that we all had. I was like, that's not gonna work. No, and so yeah, that that definitely was was awesome, and I'm sure without it, a lot of people would have been way slower. Nathan Martin. 211 flat, seventh at the U.S. Marathon Trials. An absolutely incredible finish for an incredible guy. Thank you so much for coming on the show to detail all of it. Oh, without a doubt. it's It's been awesome. You're a crazy, awesome host. And um, yeah, it's been fun.